Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tacona Morning Drive. Now you might be able to tell from my voice I've got a bit of a cold, but don't worry, the episode was recorded long before that happened. Um, This episode I sit down with John Bentley from The Gadget Show and Fifth Gear and other wonderful and interesting places. Um, We've bumped into each other at a a few different car events this year, so it was nice to uh, to be able to sit down and have a a proper chat. Now... um, John is the owner of three Skoda Yetis, and he very kindly met up with me in one of said Skoda Yetis, and we recorded in the car, so there may be a little bit of background noise from people coming in and out of the car park, but hopefully it's not too intrusive to the podcast. So, without further ado, episode 27 with John Bentley. So I've hit record now, which is the way things normally go. Mm. And just to set expectations for you, John, Mm. it's a casual chat. There's no... I don't have any questions. It's not an interview. I'm not very professional. Um, It's just me and a couple of microphones talking to interesting people. And that's the whole idea, is that Mm. conversation doesn't have to be intimidating. You can just talk. And that kind of fits the ethos of what I'm doing with Tacona, is let's get people talking more. And we're setting an example for, oh, look, it's not very scary. You can just talk to people and you never know where it might go. So mm. I'm going to ask the one question that I do ask. I've already contradicted myself when I said I don't have any questions. <laughs> um, who are you and what do you do? That's it. Go. Oh, oh, right. that, <laughs> yes. Um, have you asked the question? And you've That's recorded it. it. Go. I've got to go. I've got to yeah. go. Excellent. Well, uh, my name is John Bentley. I'm a TV producer and presenter, an occasional journalist and author who's been lucky enough to specialise in uh, um, in my childhood interests, well, at least two of them, cars and consumer technology. Amazing. Which is how I know who you are, because I grew up watching The Gadget Show relentlessly oh. on Channel 5. Ah, right. Brilliant. And the one that sticks in my head the most, which was the super flat car going under the barriers at London Bridge. Oh, right. Or Tower Bridge, I think it was. There was a bridge, and it yes. was very... We're going back like 12 years now, so I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if you can't remember the episode oh. specifically. But there was a car that had like no roof. <laughs> it yeah. was about 35 inches high. Right, like one of Andy Saunders' specials. That yeah, that kind of thing. Was a, I remember, but yeah, in the 80s, you started doing very, very flat minis and did various other things. And it would fit under mm. the barrier in a car. And that, that was my, like, most memorable moment of oh, right. the gadget show growing up. Mm. Well, I, well, that's very kind of you to say so. I mean, the, uh, I mean some of my most memorable stories have always been the ones which have involved cars as well as the the, as the technology. I mean, I, I, mean, I got on... Some, it, was, it was my birthday at the time as well, and I can remember driving around Paris in a 2CV testing sat-navs. I can remember doing a 24-hour race at Silverstone. It was a wonderful computer rig, and I thought it was going to be horrendous, uh, it'd be boring. Uh, but actually, <laughs> I, actually, I, we, we took it in shifts with three of us, and uh, that, that was racing against the real cars on the track, as it were. Oh, wow. And that was just a really... And it, the night just flew by. It wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't the bo- boring thing I thought it was going to be. Then I had another day, I think it was doing, doing a pod, testing podcast equipment, funnily enough, and, uh, and uh, they asked me, what I'd wanted to do for the subject of my podcast, the producer very generously suggested I could choose whatever I wanted, and I came, I came up with the idea, because one car I never ever got round to when I was working on Top Gear years ago, driving, was the Alpha SZ, right. and they arranged me to have an Alpha SZ for the day, to, oh. um, and, and uh, 
chap with his owner and the chap who actually seemed to have a whole whole garage full of them. But you don't um, normally yeah. find an SZ to be the only car a person has, do you? It's not the kind of car they go, yep, that's the one car I'll ever need. But he had a load of SZs. <laughs> oh, he just had more of them. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, it, was, it was an alpha specialist in Maidenhead. Uh, right, OK. And... Uh, um, and that that was a, and because I mean often old classic cars can I I found over the years can be a bit of a disappointment and you you've got this mental image of them and all the all your memories of them and they don't quite live up to it when you drive them again. In this case, obviously I wasn't driving again, but the, but the car way exceeded my expectations. Wonderful engine, that, that, oh, that, that, that oh, and just a wonderful handling as well. It was just it's fantastic. It's one of those like meet your hero moments, isn't it? It's like mm. will it ever live up to that expectation? I mean, it's, nice to hear that it, it was like oh this is actually better than I thought it's an old Alfa I thought it was just going to break straight away so fantastic um, so talk me through a bit of like your kind of how you got to where you are now like a bit of the history of John Bentley and his professional life well, I mean, I, I was keen, if possible, to try and work with my interests right from the start, because I thought this was... Uh, and so my first job after college, where, which, where I studied geography, which actually, funny enough, is another one of my interests. I've never actually really been able to turn into any uh, any, any profitable work. But the uh, um, uh, I, I did the sort of graduate recruitment round, and um, amongst uh, various other options, that Ford was uh, came up and gave up what I thought... Um, came up with the offer of a graduate training scheme so I took that um, out oh, right. uh, in Brentwood at the at, at Ford of Europe headquarters it was the Ford of Europe bit for some some reason was the bit I got attached to but it proved ultimately sadly to be to be a bit boring because all I was doing was counting the number of components required you had basically I had a, a table load of tables so you knew how many Sierra GLs Sierra gears and everything there were and how many were supposed to be produced in different plants and you and if if the GL demanded a certain sort of seat uh, bolt or something. I had to, I worked out how many bolts were required every day and somebody supposedly went oh. up and ordered them. I mean, as well as the computer could have done the job much better and more efficiently, but that being 1982, was, they hadn't got, got around to get buying one yet. And it's and, Ford, so they were like, we'll just throw more people at it. <laughs> it was, it was almost, it was almost like the, the whole, you know, one's worst fear of the production line is when putting a, putting a, putting a particular bolt on each day or something. And it was exactly the same. My, my working life there was the same. So anyway, and, uh, at that stage, years ago, the Guardian used to have ads on a Monday for for BBC and other media things, and I'd sort of liked doing a bit of photography and things when I was when I when I was younger, writing the odd articles. I thought, well, why one came up one day to be researcher on Top Gear, so I applied for that, and they seemed impressed with the fact that that I had an enormous car brochure collection, I'd had the industry experience, and uh, and I think for my dissertation, I'd interviewed everybody in a village in Lincolnshire, and they thought, ah, it's been brilliant. Yes, you interviewed if, everybody in a village in Lincolnshire. Yes, I think it was just uh, it was. Um, it can't have been a big village. No, it was, uh, no, it was on the Wolds, and it was uh, just about uh, it was uh, well. I, I, just talked about environmental matters. Right. I was always one of the reasons I did jog was I was very interested in sense of place and what, what why people re- have a relationship with places. And so that's the sort of thing. we didn't really study it, frankly. Uh, but uh, but I was determined for my dissertation I would try and do something along those lines. But anyway, they seemed impressed by that, so I went to work for uh, Top Gear as a researcher on a six month contract. Right. And uh, then that sort of extended into a. I did briefly go in London to, into London direct history programs, but then I came back to be a producer in '87 after the. After and was a serious producer and executive producer of that and various other car programs, which one I particularly like actually was, uh, 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 was one uh, on classic cars that was occasionally uh, still pops up on YouTube some of the cars the star I did and I really enjoyed doing those but anyway but then anyway, we did motorsport as well World Rally Championship all that sort of thing so that was really enjoyable and uh, but then I got slightly embroiled in BBC management, uh, which I found less enjoyable and a bit really rather stressful so I ended up ended it's always up. the case that you <laughs> You move up 
into like management and then direct like you the further up you go the less involved you are in the thing that you actually enjoyed yes it was and the reason that you got into it is like i really enjoy this thing i want to go and do that thing and then you go one step away and then two and then all of a sudden you're like oh that thing that i really enjoyed i don't actually have any contact with because i'm managing all the people between me and the thing and yes, it's it was, quite was, a common a, thing really there's a bit of that going on so i ended up leaving bbc and going to work for itv for a bit doing a and ran for the natural history unit then in in uh, bristol for a bit and then the people who were i'd, I'd left running top gear uh ended up producing fifth gear for five so i did um a uh, series producer of that for six uh, series which involved um, less driving up and down the M5 to, um, to, to to Bristol amongst other benefits and uh, it was back with cars which was good and um, uh, uh, and then Channel 5 were quite pleased with the programme so they said would you like to do a technology programme and um, and I tried to get uh, did a sort of screen test day with lots of splendid youths who were really interested in technology but, but none of them seemed quite to be able to this is back in 2003 uh, explain how to get your CD collection onto your iPod so I ended up doing a <laughs> doing it by myself and they they said well actually he should be doing this as a as as a reporter rather than producer so I ended up um uh, and, and ended up appearing on it and, and, and really enjoying it. And, and, and in the early stages, it was, same, it was such a fertile period for technological change, the sort of mid-noughties. Yeah. Everything was changing with, with, with digital. Well, what you needed really was a 13-year-old, not an adult. <laughs> because 13-year-old me, we would like LimeWire and iTunes, and oh, yes, you'd put all your, your songs onto iTunes, then you have to find the right oh, album stop. artwork. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 13-year-olds didn't know what the law was, so we were like... Yeah, that's just down. Oh, that's free. Download it. Get it all on. And then you'd have to spend all the time taking all the little like, underscores out of the song titles because inherently it was a file name, mm. so it didn't have spaces in. It was like the all the words had an underscore in between. And if you had a, an album that had sixteen songs, you then have to take all the underscores out and then add all the information in yourself and then add all the uh, like album artwork so that when you opened it up on your iPod that had a screen now, yes, it would have the right album mm. artwork and it would all be in the right album and. You end up with six different albums all called the same thing because you forgot to capitalise one and you didn't the other. And oh, it was a, a, a time of like growth and development as a, a young teenager back in the early <laughs> mid-2000s was like, right, we can now put all of our music onto this little box that you carry around in your pocket or in your phone and things like that. So it meant that we all learned how to do that sort of thing. And anybody over 20 didn't have to learn by force at that point. So they were just like, oh, I don't know, someone else would do it for me. I'll just put a CD in instead, it'll be fine. And so much of the early technology didn't actually necessarily work terribly well. I mean, I, mean, I recall testing uh, the first um, inkjet printers in the garage. I had a sort of UV light. Right. And, uh, and uh, testing them all for fade. Some of them were really, really quite bad, actually. But, but they, they, the inks got better. And then they, yeah, yeah. Well, I've just got a thermal printer, and mm. that is like magic. I put a video up and it's got like 5,000 views or something silly. And it's literally because it, it's a thermal printer, so there is no real ink. The mm. paper reacts and there's that and the other. So it reels so out it labels. Like a fax. Oh, it's brilliant though. So you get like a, I think it's like a three inch by six inch label paper. Mm. And you say I've got, say, 25 orders and they all need a label. I press a button and it goes and just spills out all of these labels mm. like instantly. Mm. And it's so impressive and like mesmerising to watch just how quickly it churns these labels out. I'll, I'll show you the video after we've finished like recording. Yes, yes. Because it is so fast, it's so impressive. Mm. And previously, thermal printers were like a standalone unit where the labels were all inside the unit and this, that, and the other. And they were quite quick, but they weren't like super quick. Whereas this one, it's a rectangle and the top opens, and you feed in the paper from a roll, 
and then you clamp it down and that's it it's literally two inches wide by six inches long and about four inches deep it's just this mm. tiny little thing that sits on the desk yeah. it's fantastic it's brilliant and technology again is continuously evolving and changing mm-hmm. and someone like me who doesn't have any money isn't from a tech industry background and only has the access to the internet can run a podcast run a clothing company run car events and do all these things with a smartphone and a laptop and a couple of wireless road mics and a thermal printer on my spare bedroom and that's it like everything like all the stickers on my car aside from that the big one on the door i made myself with my own vinyl cutter oh really yeah and the the numbers they were given to me by toyota for the event that they were for but all those hexagons all over the back they're just i cut 30 hexagons out of vinyl and then stuck them on one by one over three days (laughs) you have to do things a bit more in like creatively when you don't have resource it's very impressively lined up i was uh, oh that took so long Yes, because I mean, if you ever, I mean, Carl Reesbane, you have to put those little, those little transparent bits around the wheel yeah. arches back on. I find those impossible. Oh, it it, it mm. took a lot of time and patience and mm. shouting. Unfortunately, I was locked in my friend's workshop by myself, mm. so I had all the space in the world to be frustrated. But it also meant that I was less distracted because I was like, I'm in a room with my vinyl cutter mm. and my car. I'm just going to get it done. Um, but yeah, that, that's the resources that you can do, like just as a person with a spare bedroom these days, mm. with the right pieces of tech, mm. you can run a whole business yes. without it needing huge amounts of money to start and it doesn't need massive cash flows and things like that. You can go, right, I'll throw 200 quid into a vinyl cutter and my, my MacBook is probably the most expensive thing that I have and my phone. But they're all on like finance and pay monthly through Apple, which is interest-free. So you're not really spending loads. Mm. Um, and a couple of microphones for a couple of hundred quid. and a, You just kind of have to be a bit more creative. And you can do so much things. Whereas mm. back in the early noughties, that would have been impossible. And then it was so thrilling, thrilling for the first time, though, to be able to speak to the world without lots of intermediaries. Yeah. That was the... Uh, that was in various ways, whether it, whether it be through your photographs, and then later later on, towards the end of the whole subject, through video, that didn't start immediately. We didn't have the bandwidth for all that. So, so. No, that, that's probably been mm. the biggest um, like enabler of everything to grow, is how quickly internet's mm. evolved. But, but, I mean, but now there seem various threats to that in terms of freedom of speech, in terms of the, the, the fact that the... For better or worse, the the the, the, uh, the companies involved seem now to be more regarded as publishers rather than just facilitators. And is that is that is that a problem? You yeah, they're getting a lot more like accountability thrown at them, aren't they? So mm. like, we'll take Twitter for example. It's no longer just a you can type what you like. It has to be kind of controlled almost to be a safer environment for people to be around mm. because it is potentially quite a dangerous place to be. And there's things like, there's a, a book by John Ronson called So You've Been Publicly Shamed, and he looks into like cancel culture mm. and how people pile on. And the, the story that he gives is um, there was a lady that was going flying to Africa, a white lady from America, and she made a very, very bad joke in very poor taste. And I think the joke was, um, just flying to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS, lol jokes, I'm not black, or I'm white. Something like that, a really, really shitty joke. Mm. Like, with very poor taste. And fair dues, she shouldn't have said it, and she mm. should have got a oh, slap on the wrist, and no, that's not a, not right. But she sent that tweet, got on a plane, turned the phone off. Nine hours later, she landed in Africa. 
She'd lost her job. She'd lost all of her friends. Her whole life had been completely destroyed because social media is social yeah. media and these whirlwinds can grow. And it had gone from... She had like 10 followers. Someone had seen it, retweeted it, ret- and it just blew up. And by the end of it, someone had figured out where she worked and emailed them. And all of this stuff had happened from one little tweet. So there is a certain amount of, oh, maybe we should have some measures in place to minimise just how big an impact this stuff can have mm. like mm. yes a bad joke is a bad joke and she shouldn't be saying those things but should she lose her whole career and life and everything over one mm. bad joke said at the wrong yeah, time difficult. yeah it's uh, difficult uh, yeah it's a difficult area to say the least mm. it's very much a minefield if, mm. if you say anything that doesn't fit within like the narrative that is expected of general kind of um mm. consensus mm. you can very quickly find yourself in muddy water and like a friend of mine posted about uh, Polestar 2 that he'd been lent. Mm. He was like, really like this. It's a great car. does all the right things. Great piece of transportation. I don't get any emotion from it, which is what I think is lacking from the electric car world, is that there's not that emotional connection like you get in normal cars. And someone was like, well, you're not supposed to. It's supposed to just be transport. And he was like, well, I find these things enjoyable and cars are my hobby and my passion. And, and it started this argument. And now it's, it's kind of ballooned. And he's like... I've got a lot of vegan people after me for some reason. It's like nothing to do with the car or electric cars or anything like that. And I, I don't know how we've got here. <laughs> and it's just yeah, it's mad the tangents it goes on. Yeah, it is, uh, well, I mean, yes, there are uh, consequences and effects to all means of production and, uh, and transport and everything. It's quite, uh, um, you would, I think, we're going to become increasingly aware of that, aren't we? The sort of the, the equivalent of the well to wheel, but for other forms of. Mm. Uh, transport and other other things in life, you know, uh, in terms of the overall effect on pollution and the environment. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it it is thought that if um, you know what, once you get rid of the the worst NOx producing diesels, once you get, that, that actually, ultimately, the car will become even with current environmental um, measures of uh, the, the Euro six or Euro seven, whatever out there, you actually it will soon be the case where the car is only just is no worse as an urban polluter than cooking, say, right, or, okay. or public transport, or all of which has um, had, has effects in terms of Yeah, yeah. Pollution. Like there's a, an example given where it's like McDonald's making beef burgers is bad for the environment. Like, how much of you are conscious of that? How much is that talked about? Or mm. like producing mm. certain things and doing certain things has an impact. How do we put measures in place to make it even across the board? It seems like the car world is definitely getting the brunt of it. And mm. there's a lot of that that is justified, and a lot of cars are big polluters. But there's another thing where it's like the, there's five companies or conglomerates, whatever, that produce like 70% of all CO2 emissions or something crazy like that. And it's like, maybe we should concentrate on that a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, well, it might certainly be good. Uh, I think people might react against it if you were entirely just um, clamping down on their ability to have personal transport and not clamping down on construction or um, yeah, yeah. Uh, or aviation or any of these other industries. That are, I think it, it's probably perceived like there's a lot of people, so there's it's you versus a problem, whereas going for a company, it's a big barrier. So it's easy to go... Oh, Mr. Smith, you're wrong. Mrs. Jones, you're wrong. They've got a much smaller voice to push back. Whereas a big company, when you go, right, the construction industry, you need to calm down. There's a lot of force pushing back against it. So it's easier to just talk about the people that can't really 
create a voice unless they all organise themselves. Mm. But I mean, the classic car lobby, those have been very successful in terms of mm. keeping um, classic cars on the road when, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, there could have been the London Clean Air Zone or whatever, or ULES could have been, um, uh, could have applied to old, the oldest cars yeah, as well. Yeah. I mean, I know there's that issue of the modern classics that sort of fall foul of, of both. They don't have the exemption for being over 40 years old, but they do have... Um, but um, they are classic, so they use less yeah. frequently, that kind of thing. Because yeah. um, there was a thing where it was over a lifespan, a classic car is going to cause less impact because all of the CO2 to create the thing was so long ago. Yeah, and they're cool. driven so infrequently that they're not actually putting mm. much, they're not contributing much yes, to the environment. Yes. Um, Until they're converted into an electric one, when I suppose it yeah, goes up Yeah, you've got a big lithium pack inside. <laughs> yes, Oh, great, we're now back to square one again. (laughs) At least there's no more coming out of the back. Mm. Um, But yeah, my Renault's uh, four years off, 40. Ah. So I'm just waiting. And then I'm going like, right, straight to Tower Bridge, just because I can. Yay. Funny enough, my two-litre Toyota, Mm. with the big exhaust on the back, completely ULES exempt. I can Mm, go anywhere in London. Mm. Oh, I can't go through the the normal congestion zone Mm. without hitting a charge. But I can drive in central London. Yeah, it's only central Oxford that actually is at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I think not, <laughs> Which I think back. I went to just before they introduced oh, that. Right. And I didn't know time. that it was yeah, coming. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But yeah. I was right in the centre of Oxford. Mm. And as oh. I pulled into the car park, there was an old guy parking his like 1920s Bugatti just on the street outside. He's like, oh, I'm just popping for coffee. I was like, oh my God, look at this Bugatti just <laughs> parked on the street in Oxford. <laughs> And it was just this guy. He's like, "Yeah, my family's had it since new, so uh, I just Wonderful. drive it around." Mm. That's amazing. Mm. Um, but anyway, back onto yes, the I'm life of you. John Bentley working oh, in TV mm. and media. Because anybody that listens to my podcast has probably heard pretty much every story I've got to share about the car world. So it's more oh. interesting if you talk about things that you've done, um, because it's it's more interesting than the stuff that I do. Oh gosh! Um, so you did Top Gear, mm. left the BBC for a bit, mm. went to. Channel 5 for the Gadget Show and mm. for Fifth Gear. Is, well, the Gadget still, Show is still going, so still I'm going, guessing yes, you're still yes. in that same group of people? We're still, yes, we're, yes, we're still doing it. Um, I've, got, I've got this series, another series commissioned for next year, I believe, anyway. And uh, I mean, it's slightly, at the moment, it's slightly different. They've got a, the, uh, the channel's got this idea that it wants to help people solve their gadget problems. So that, that's the right. sort of core of it, rather than being the studio as we were uh, until recently. I mean, how that goes down, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, yeah. Could be interesting, though. Yeah, it could, could, could be, yes. So, it, and, but I, I'm still doing my bits of testing in it, mainly, mainly focused on, on cheap versus expensive. I, I think it's, you know, if you. Oh, that, buy a that's... decent drill. Is it better than one that's a, there's a budget one or so on? And um, it's right off my street because I've yeah. got no money, so I need to know these things. <laughs> well, <laughs> Can I get the cheap one and get away with it, or do yes, I have to yes, save up and fork out a load of money? Are, are the walking boots that cost three times or four times as much really going to be better? Probably. And the answer from the walking boots was probably a bit better. But <laughs> that's right up your street, though, because you, we've already talked about how you love a good walk and oh, well, geography. I, walk. I bet yeah, you were right up for. Yeah. I've had an idea, guys. I'm going to buy some really <laughs> expensive walking boots for the show, obviously. Mm. And then I'll also get some cheap ones to test against. <laughs> mm, mm. Do you get to keep half of the stuff that uh, you use? Very rarely. Actually, oh. I don't, not, 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 not too much. I mean, uh, surely walking boots. Walk, so you've had your feet. Walking in boots. Them. They would tend. To, they, they, one would tend to, tend to uh, subject them to a longer testing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to have them for six months just to check that they work over time. <laughs> but it's for the show. It's for the show. Um, 
So outside of the gadget show, what else have you got going on? Because we uh, met at Festival of the Unexceptional with Haggerty. Uh, yes. Well, I, 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 I was very privileged to be able to judge that for a few years. So that's uh, that's, that's a real highlight for me. That's a real highlight for me. That is a. It's a lovely it's here, a, uh, I mean, it's. Uh, I, I, I think when I went to the first or the second one, I can't remember, uh, to start with, I've been, been, been ever since. My, cause my, I'm very mean with myself. I'm very mean with myself on cars, really. I'd always, I, mean, I, just, I really just love bangers, really. And, um, I can appreciate it. And I, 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 I mean, I, even... Uh, and, well, I, yes, and uh, even, I even enjoy the slower versions of cars more than the fast ones. Uh, fast ones in some cases, which is terrible. I mean, I, I had Mark 1 Golf GT, I had a Mark 1 Golf 1100, and I actually preferred driving the 1100, which I shouldn't say. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> ended up I have a 1.1 Renault 5, it's mm. not the turbo, so I, I'm a I, I think fan. it's so much fun driving a car flat out. Yeah, uh, slow uh, which, car which, fast which, is uh, more fun than fast mm, car slow. Especially if, if, as with the Golf, it was on really spindly tyres and it had very quite you feeling would roll it all the way around. You, you could just so that was, uh, and that was the same with the Mark II. Well. Anyway, uh, yes, uh, but. Um, so, yes, yeah, so festival that leads to the fact. I just just love the fact that people put lots of enthusiasm into keeping what are in many cases exceedingly rare cars actually, and, and largely unloved. <laughs> yeah, or they're rare cars. because they were so unloved. They were just and, cars, or so. just not necessarily even actively unloved. Just because people are sort of indifferent to them. Yeah, and uh, then all of a sudden they they're in danger of disappearing, and they're not quite so indifferent. To Which them. is again where our Renault has. Mm. We found a lot of weird popularity with that car because of that. Oh, these used to be everywhere, and now they're nowhere mm. because everybody scrapped them because they were just a car. Mm. And now there's none of those ones left. It's only the sporty ones that survive because there was that enthusiast culture for them. And now there's like seven Renault 5 TLs knocking around or whatever it is that's <laughs> left. So when mm. we turn up anywhere, I was like, oh my God, a Renault 5. I've not seen one of those for years. And that is the festival and exceptional in a mm. nutshell. Is, mm. I've not seen one of those for years, should be the tagline, really. Mm. <laughs> yes, and the question that then becomes, when, when does something become too good to be unexceptional so, yeah. so if you've got something like a Fiat Panda well there was a lovely Fiat last year's a lovely Fiat Panda with those football oh that was the, the nine, was it the 1998 yeah for some reason I think although I'm not very good something on something like it was that form. age yeah. though and it was the number plate was 1990 EU mm. or something mm. like that and it was football wheels like you said and it, it was a special mm. edition one because mm. a special edition had won it the year before which was the, the Proton Saga Black Knight special edition <laughs> which every dealer had one of that's pretty <laughs> that's, cool uh, I don't think I could tell you what that looked like if you asked me <laughs> like, I'd have to Google it I'm, I'm afraid as with all the cars in the festival almost all I can remember driving them when they were new which is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because you were the researcher for Top Gear back in well, the well, 80s well, yes I'm a producer and so on that. so uh, yes that was uh, so we used to get a lot of so uh, were you plus, yes. mm. responsible for Richard Porter being part of the well, Top we, Gear team? Uh, well, yes, actually. Uh, uh, I mean, one of the le- later things I did before I, I left. I mean, I've become researcher, I've become a direct producer, series producer, editor, all that sort of stuff. And the uh, and I also my boss because I'd introduced various presenters to the program. He thought I should do some presenting as well, just to see whether I enjoyed it. So I did actually do about eleven or twelve items. Uh, but one of them was because it seemed to me that to grow. Top Gear, always a big problem was always recruiting number of people who were really interested in cars, yeah. basically. And but at the same time, had a, quite an awareness, of, sort of a bit of a TV attitude as well. So I did an on-screen recruitment exercise and asked for. Um, uh, I think people had to write in with three ideas, and right. uh, that was probably it, and a CV, I think. And the, and I and. Not surprisingly, we had sort of I think, certainly thousands and thousands and thousands of responses at that stage, and it took me ages. I did look through them all, and it took me absolutely ages. Um, so it, 
several months passed by, and, and uh, we went through an interviewing process. And uh, Richard, I seemed to uh, take the very boxes. good. He certainly was. Well, it was very good. There were a few other people were recruited as well. Yeah. Chap called James Woodruff, who was still at school, I think, at the time, or was just about to go. No, was he, or just towards the end of his university degree, he went on as, to be uh, a series producer of lots of lots of things, like the guys, the guy Martin shows, and the and uh, Fifth Gear for a while, and uh, other things, and another chap called um, Alex Riley, who's done various things on. That name rings a bell. Uh, I can't think where. From. It's it's a series he does with. A series, I mean, he did things for the one he show. He does he's done the a series one with, with Vicky Butler Henderson. Henderson on, That's where I'm from. Can't actually quite remember the title, but yeah, it is. A, they do like a shootout, don't they? Shootout like one a, of a particular year. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. my friend has the Green Alfred Junior. I want to say that was on there. That, mm. So there's this weird little connection between. As with everything in the car world, there's only really a couple of people between you and someone else oh, in the car world. Fascinating, yes. It's great. Like there's mm. that saying of six degrees of separation, isn't there? Mm. And in the car world, it's like two or three. Because I can be, I can look in your phone and probably have like twenty people that I'm like, oh, I know yes. them, I don't know them, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because everybody's interconnected in the car world. It's great. Mm. I love it. Like I met J.K. from Jamiroquai Choir, yes, the Sunday yes, Scramble in, in January. I've spoken to him many years ago. But that's. That's the beauty of the car. It's like, oh, there's J.K. from Jamiroquai, and he's chatting to, oh, my friend. So mm. now I'm introduced to J.K. because I'm friends with someone next to him, mm. and that's how it, it always works. Like, I think I was at um, car storage place in Warwickshire, not far from where we are now, mm. and uh, I was chatting away to the guy who owns it because we were filming something for a friend with an Aston Martin Vulcan doing a very cool thing. And it turns out this guy's like one of Prince Harry's best mates. I was like, great, now I'm two people away from Prince Harry. Like, <laughs> this is wild how this world mm. works. Oh, um, you might know the other chap that came out of that recruitment thing. was a chap called uh, John Lakey, who was a, as, 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 uh, as, uh, as a sort of automotive TV researcher and producer par excellence. He, he'd also be, he'd, he helped uh, Ant Hansen write a wonderful book about police cars. If you want a very authoritative book on police cars, it's... Uh, Fantastic. It's, 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 it's Ant one of my, like, goal guests for this the trouble is he lives in LA now oh he does yes and mm. he's dating mm. Rene Zellweger of yes. all people <laughs> bloody Rene like mm. it's weird how this kind of happens to people he's like oh I'm going to go over to America to do, shoot wheeler dealers and then all of a sudden he's dating Rene Zellweger mm. and now lives with her and all that sort of thing mm. um, but then that brings me back around to Alex Goy because he said oh I'd like to go on a holiday just to write like just to get away from life and sit and write and Ant Anstead messaged him going Come over to our house. Ren will cook you up a curry. And he's like, well, okay. Like, this wild, like, oh, I'm just going to go and have curry made by Renny Selwego, who is a movie star, basically. Um, but yeah, it's it's crazy how the the car world works and how like the TV world works and how people that do this thing now do this thing because of these people. And it's all interconnected, which is, it's so much fun to learn. And like, I've only been on this side of, the car world for about three years since I started doing this mm. so before that I was a car enthusiast I had no yeah. involvement with anything other than going to a show to see what's at a show mm. and taking my car how early did it start oh when I was like four yes I just think same here yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. Um, I think my parents have said like when I was like a proper kid I could name the cars on the motorway like oh there's a BMW and a Mercedes and then the earliest memory I have of like liking cars was my dad had a 205 GTI Ooh, when I was gosh. like five or six. Sounds, yeah, and he, he sold that and got a Celica. My parents were not in the least bit interested in cars <laughs> at all. But, <laughs> but uh, it, yes. 
it's it's interesting to see like was there anyone in your family like engineering or mechanical or no. anything like that no no not at all so how have no. you ended up as such a oh I I, my, my, one of my daughters is uh, is amazingly accomplished as a dancer and and i am the i am the yeah. world's worst <laughs> two left feet <laughs> yeah so uh, so i don't think it necessarily follows does it? I, think, I, think, I think everything skips generally. was it the surname was it kind of like i kind of where, where does my surname come from and it then, is it's quite oh, common, actually quite common uh, yeah, so i think it's uh, yes unfortunately one is no relation to the uh, the great man but uh, mm, uh yes it's a uh, so cars, tech, geography—they were the things. Uh, yeah, I think play, yes, place, uh, yes, uh, yes, tech and tech was always expressed as an item. I don't know, I used to mend televisions and things and back when them. you could. Yes, when, when you could. Yes, that's, but yes, well, actually, you can now. It just tends to be you place boards and things, but it was, you could still often get the bits. But uh, um, yes, I, and I used to do quite a lot of old-fashioned sort of photography with the chemicals and things. And I used to really enjoy that. And, uh, Probably because of the chemicals. Oh, this is great! Yeah, no, I'm having no, a fantastic no, no, time. No, rather unpleasant smelling no. things. I'm thinking I should do, do it again. Yes, but um, I'll make a, a dark room in your bathroom and use something the bath- of the sort. Yes, full mm. 1990s TV where they had all the the washing line hang up over the yes. bath and that kind of thing. Mm. My the girl I dated when I was in college, she went and did a photography degree. Ooh. So when we were like 18, 19, she was like, do you want to come and see how it all works? So I spent time in the dark rooms at mm. Derby Uni. Mm. It was great fun. I couldn't make a photo work to save my life, but fantastic fun. <laughs> <laughs> now I can just about take a photo, but back then I, I borrowed her professional camera to go to the Festival of Speed. Ooh. First time I ever went, I took Ooh, it with me. Event, took, all these, took loads and loads of photos, got mm. back and realised that it had an adjuster on the viewfinder for eyesight correction, oh, yeah. mm. which I didn't know was a thing. So all of the photos were out of focus because oh, no. I was tuning it to be clear and then it was immediately oh, plus no. three out. So it was all bravely yeah. manual focusing with the so I was trying moving to, cars, uh, which is yeah. quite and I very tried, difficult. To, yes. tried to pass it off as, oh, it's, it's blurry because I'm being creative. Like, no, you just focused it wrong, you idiot. <laughs> and then, what, what, what were you studying? At the I wasn't or? studying any. I, technically, I did accountancy, but I did oh. an apprenticeship. Yeah. Um, my backstory is I don't really stick it one career very long i get about three years and then change so i did accountancy then i worked in secure psychiatric hospitals for three years and then i worked in sales for ups for two and a bit years then i worked in um i worked for a partner of bt and e setting up people's phones and their broadband and stuff like that Kind of tech-related, basically. Um, now I work in design and marketing. Design and marketing. Yeah. So I, I picked this up three years ago as a, something to try and um, connected all the mental health thing that was a, a big passion of mine. And I've built a skill set in designing things and writing and all that sort of stuff off the back of what I do for Tacona. And it is now leveraged into a, an actual job for a company that pay me to design things and write oh, things for them. Oh, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I should be here. <laughs> As this happened. Um, yeah, which is the fun part of life is that you don't know where things are going to go. Like, I imagine when you got that job at Ford and you were sat there going, well, this is mind-numbingly boring. You weren't expecting to be where you are now and on no. telly and oh, well, writing I, I, I and doing any particular things. plans. I know, I know I needed to... Um, try and escape f- from it. I think I worked that out after about eight months of yeah, of, um, tedium. Yes, really. Yes, which would have felt like ten years if it was eight months of tedium. Br- I briefly got to borrow my manager's com- company cars. They, they, that was because they, they used to work what their management role scheme. I think it was. I was one grade off not get, getting one, but there, there was uh, you had um, 
I don't know, he had a very kindly lent me his XR2 with a Kent engine. I remember that was, nice. that, was that was a nice thing to, to uh, did, and uh, and the and the um, great soft spot for the 2.8 gear Granada Mark IIs. They were, <laughs> they were, <laughs> but that was back in the like the heyday of interesting Fords in the UK, though, isn't it? Right. I suppose it was. They were just sitting, well, they, they just started to become better to drive because actually, I, I know everybody remembers them fondly from the seventies, but they were pretty awful, really. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I recall uh, a year or so ago, Ford had a sort of day when you could drive their bits with their heritage fleet. I can't invite me along, and some were absolutely fantastic. The ST Focus, the fifty-six plate one, was superb. Yeah, uh, a lovely thing. Um, and as that's and, and as indeed was the um, was the fifties console three seven five cabriolet that was <laughs> that sounds incredible. <laughs> what they called it a cabriolet, they probably called it something else. But anyway, there's uh, there was uh, that, that, that they were brilliant. But uh, but it, it, it did these nineteen seventy seven Capri reminded me how awful they were. They were all they like live soft... wear axle and yeah. Leaf the, the last like the that. last Capri I think is in, uh, they also have one of those uh, the last injection. The age, and that that I think has improved over the years, in, in some ways because at the time it just felt very dated. But but actually it is a very it's a very it's a very nice thing to drive. And Especially they're, they're, these days when everything really is soft. Mm. I, that so our other car I've got the GT86 and the Renault Five. Mm. We've got a Skoda Rapid. Right. And we're currently sat in your Skoda Yeti, which is the car that we wanted. <laughs> but Skoda Yetis are so expensive because they? they're motability ac- accessible. Yes. So oh, they're. Yeah. A, a 16 plate Yeti is about 12 grand still whereas our Skoda Rapid which is a 16 plate was 6 Gosh. so we've basically got a Polo estate mm. um, so that's a normal car that you don't feel every bump and you can't tell what the road texture is like this and the other and I drive that 6 mm. out of 7 days and I've jumped in the 86 this morning and I'm like mm. bloody hell I've got a flat tyre I can feel every grain of like tarmac on the road and i just forget that it's so much more like connected to the floor and because i've ruined it by putting it on coilovers and big wheels you feel everything even more and how does it compare to the super in your current super so i've not driven the gta6 but i haven't driven a a super which i enjoyed although i find it quite fun i've been trying to get a going one Mm. so i could do the thing that everyone else does which is the logical and go and ask to test drive it like a normal person Mm. however I am stubborn, and I asked to borrow one. So mm. the the eighty six needs a new drive shaft, which is a it's under warranty still. Um, so I took it in for a service and said it's making this noise, and they said it's those coilovers you fitted. So then I had to go and get it like independently checked. Who then said it's not your coilovers; it's either the brakes or the drive shaft. Take it back to Toyota because they're warranty items. So I took it to a different Toyota dealership because I then didn't trust the first one to do a competent job. I said, look, I've got to drive it further to come to you because that other place who's part of the same group did a NAF job and I've got to leave it with you for the day. As it's quite inconvenient, can I borrow a Supra for the day? I'll do, I've will do. i got a 360 action cam and all the mounts to put it on the back of the car. Mm. So you can get one of those like, top-down, need for speed looking. And you filter out the... Um... It's got an invisible yes, stick. It, yes. where mm. it does that automatically. You don't even have to edit mm. it. It just does that. Mm. So I'll do your video. I'll give you... Like, some, I've done some bits of writing. I'll give you like a consumer like impression review. My car's been featured by Toyota on their website. So we've got an established relationship. Everybody wins from this. I'm not like mm. inconvenienced more than I have to be to give you my car for a day and I can give you something back for lending me this Supra. And I emailed them about three weeks before it was booked in saying all this. Oh, I'm sure I could figure something out. Week two, I was like, I just want to check what the plan is. Oh, I've sent this to the sales manager to confirm. 
I'm sure we can get you a Supra for the afternoon. Turns up on the day. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Warren, there's no Supras here. We haven't got one. The demo car's not here. I was like, right, obviously. If only I'd given you more notice. I got an Igo. I went, you know what? I'm going to treat this Igo like it's the Supra. And I'm just <laughs> going to I'm going to make a joke of it. So I pretended that the Igo was the Supra. And I reviewed it as such. Mm. And I put this thing out on Twitter saying, the new Supra is crap. It's really <laughs> slow. It's really loud. It's really wobbly and soft. It doesn't look very good. And I properly like treated it as though this is what the Supra was when it was clearly an Igo. And I've now got this full like Twitter story happening because uh, this drive shaft's still not done so I've had to go back again where I've not had this Supra and they won't give me a Supra so when it went in last week I said can I I'm it's only coming in for a service because the drive shaft's still not here but rather than lose the the window of the car being with you just service it and knock me some like money off the service which they agreed to which was great because it meant that I got 10,000 miles more warranty and the car was at 99,850 miles. Oh, wow. So they do this flex thing where yeah. if it's serviced before 100,000, you get 10,000 miles. Right. Even if it passes 100,000. It's just one of these, like, these Toyota never-ending warranty thing, providing yeah. you always take it back to them. To have exactly. So I was like, I'm happy to pay however much it was for the service with the discount, whatever, to get those extra miles. Like It's nice to have an extended warranty. So I took it in. And I was like... Can I borrow a Supra? There's three outside. I can see there's three of them. <laughs> and I'm, it's only going to be here for two hours. So I'm only going to be taking it into, it was in Milton Keynes, into Milton Keynes and back again. Can I just borrow it to have a go? And the, guy, the service guy went, I'll go and speak to the sales manager. And he came back and his response was, well, the, the GR Supra is a specialist car and we can't just let anybody drive it. And I was like, look at the car I'm giving you to <laughs> service. What car is the equivalent that you would accept? So I still haven't had a go in a Supra, and now I'm too stubborn to test drive it because I don't want to go out my way to do it. Ah, right. I want so them to just lend me. It's become an issue. Yeah, so I've never <laughs> driven a Supra, and I'm just going to go and buy an M2 instead. Ah, mm, mm. So, uh, yeah, squash. Well, that's... Uh, mm. so, yeah, I, I don't have an opinion on how the Supra drives no, yet. No. It I mean, might happen. Do you have an opinion on the Toyota extended warranty that you have to... It's great, I, love it. It's, it's good, because I was always a bit worried... Because I... Mrs. Bentley's got one, a, a, an old Corolla Verso, which we bought when it was, when it was new, years ago, 56... Uh, it's on a, a, a sort of 2006 or seven or whatever it is. Well, but, but, it's but, a but, ten but, year thing. That's the problem. But yeah, well, I mean, but I always, always thought that. I remember taking the second service and all the water pumps leaking. You know, and that oh, no, don't much. It's only a tiny. Let's see if it gets, gets worse. Two hundred and seven thousand miles. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> it now, you know, still... it's never. It's still on the. You always wonder how honest uh, whether yeah, they yeah. invent things that go wrong. With, I don't know. Maybe. maybe that's well, fortunately, because I. Mm understand the mechanicals under the car so there's this mm. weird squealing sound and it sounds mm. like a belt and it turns out it's the because i've got the aftermarket exhaust where it mates up to the standard exhaust at the back of the engine where all the cats are mm. um the bracket that retains it has springs to keep the pressure on mm. and what happens is when you come off the throttle and it kind of expands and contracts a bit it squeaks mm. so when i took it in they said oh it's that that's making that squeaking noise we've fixed it but it will probably come back so keep an eye on it so they've been quite genuine with me mm. and when i took it away it had stopped so it's not like it was a belt and oh, they were right. just trying to fob mm. me off but the the service guys have been really good oh, right. i mean mm. toyota themselves mm. getting the part to them has taken mm. we're on like week seven or eight now which is quite a long time for a part um fortunately it's a part that isn't degrading it's like mm. it still works but it, it's going um but the flex warranty thing is 
quite good, actually. I, can't, uh, I can so that, really well, commend good, them for that. that. That's good. Yes, oh, also, no, fairness, I'm, just, I'm probably not particularly interested really. What about, I, mean, I remember I was amazed that they did a new half engine about 70,000 80, miles because it had a head gasket issue. And they, oh, even right. though it was out of warranty, they covered it. was very Part superb, of the service. superbly. You know, the, the other, you know, the service loan car was there within a minute as it were, and the car was taken away and completely re, the engine That's rebuilt. Good of them. It, it make, makes you, you end up thinking, oh, gosh, well, actually, you think, you think better of the company as a result. Yeah, because you trust in them to kind of look after yeah. you. Like if they go, look, we have to accept that this is going to happen, or it might happen. So we'll put things in place that minimise how much of an impact that will have mm. on your life. Mm. You appreciate that more than them just trying not to trying to tell you that the thing happens. Yes, yeah, so we'll try to try to sort of distance themselves from the problem. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And like the service plan that they run now, there are like milestones within the. So you don't pay like. Two hundred pound for a normal, four hundred for a big, six hundred for a, an extra big. You just it's either an intermediate or a full, mm. and whatever is required at those intervals, they just do. Mm. So it's not like you have one big service for like belt changes or anything like that. They go right, that's part of a full service oh, at right. eighty thousand. Yes. Yeah. So your four hundred quid is covering that. It's all coming on, so yeah. basically, like all the the big costs mm. are absorbed across that range of services do you think we're going there now to, to it is that more you know this whole long-term rental sort of approach rather than the like i know they're saying that with these neo electric cars aren't they? they're, they're almost leaning and... towards subscription models aren't yeah, they I mean, it's like you pay x amount a month and you it's don't really money, own it, it. oh yeah for sure I mean, that's, that's, that's what that's the negative side of it is it, it, it's it, not it, a cheap it's, thing it's, no. i think leasing cars has become the way for new car ownership anyway mm. hasn't it so mm. people are doing that and people will often change within three years but I think it's good to see companies that offer warranty that outlasts the lease so that the second owners still have cover. So Toyota do a five-year warranty as standard, and now they do this 10-year flex thing. Mm. Nissan have been doing five or seven. Kia do a five or seven as well. Mm. So companies are kind of going, right, we're almost looking after owner number two mm. more than just lease man. And they're probably in a good position for doing so because owner number two has probably got more invested in that car because they're not on a three-year PCP mm-hmm. deal. They're on a probably a four- or five-year finance deal and they're locked into that car for longer. So if you look after them, they'll continue using you after the warranty ends because mm-hmm. they trust in mm-hmm. what you're doing, which is why I still take mine to Toyota for servicing because mm-hmm. I go, right, I know Toyota are covering all the bits that would probably be expensive to do outside of this. And I get this warranty extension. I mean, I've just hit my last possible warranty extension, so next year it might not get serviced at Toyota unless right. it's a big thing that needs doing. And then I'll go, right, it's had a full, so I'm on an intermediate, but it's had, say, 107,000 miles or whatever. Mm. I'll bring it to you because at 110 it needs a water pump, whatever it is. Mm. But rather than me then paying 400 quid to have a water pump fitted, it'll get fitted as part of my 300 quid service. So it, you get the service and the water pump fitted. So I think that model is... It's still quite a good mm. thing to be seeing happening, mm. Um, mm. which is an interesting tangent for us to have gone on. <laughs> it is, I probably is, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's, it's great. It's like these, as I say, like these things are. It's meant to be a casual chat. It's not meant to be me interviewing John mm. Bentley with a. Oh, it's mm. it's not whoever that the famous Parkinson where he's like. So tell me about this, and I know exactly what happened, and I'm asking you a specific. That's not, I. I am too lazy to be that guy. Like I got an email from um, from someone asking to interview me about the Renault and the mental health stuff and the Tacona stuff and everything that I'm doing. And it was like, here's what we're going to talk about. Here's some subjects that we're going to go through. 
here's some of the backstory I'd like to know more about, here's what photos I'd like from It's full, like, Ooh. taking the time to put all this, looked at who I am and what I've done and this, that, and the other. I was like, oh, I'm invi- I've invited this person on the podcast. So I was like, the flip side of this conversation is, I'm going to invite you to interview in inverted commas, and all I'm going to do is go, so who are you and what do you do? And that's what we're going <laughs> all, all to do. So the, mm. and I, I think that is part of what people listen to this for as well. Mm. Not that many people listen. I get a few, a fair few people, but I'm not mm. the number one podcast or anything like that. And I'm very stereotypical and I'm a white guy with a podcast, which has become the thing these days. Oh, oh you're a white guy. What's your podcast called? <laughs> <laughs> um, but hopefully it's, it's a little bit more casual and relaxed enough to be easy to mm. to just be part like almost like you sat with your mates in the pub and someone's mm. telling a story kind of thing that's the vibe i'm going for is that it's easy easy listening and it's not too serious and we don't have mm. to have structure and stick to the script or anything like that so it means that we can go off on random tangents like mm. what's toyota's servicing <laughs> policy like what do you think of oh, it oh, the other thing they did, they did on this car when it was there about 14 years i mean this is one of our ancient very motley fleet of cars and they and uh, uh it needed a it, it a software upgrade right and amazing they did it for free i thought it was very good at 40 14 year old car yeah for my local Toyota dealer, yes. Which so is, how many uh, miles has it done now? Oh, it's about 207, 208, something. 208, That's yeah, impressive, something. though. It, 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 it did have that extra half engine, but it's... It, uh, it's um, I mean, having said that, this car had broken down, we'd broken down it more. We needed an alternator failed at Waitrose High Wickham. Well, it's not the battery's dead. <laughs> no, it all just... But it light up like a Christmas the, tree. No, it just, just stopped. Oh. When, um, the, and the... Um, because the belt had snapped, it snapped the belt because it went rigid and snapped the drive belt. Right. So that was a, anyway. That was a, well, it didn't stop entirely, but it, it did. It sort of stalled on the on the car. But then, then it quite obviously it wasn't. It was the steering was heavy because it wasn't driving the power, power steering, pump either and so on. And the, and it was it uh, certainly wouldn't. It wasn't driving the uh, yeah all the other bits and bobs. Anyway, so that was that. that yes, that's uh, uh, but that, that's uh, we're in your Skoda Yeti. My, my, my Skoda Yeti, which I didn't intend to keep, but I bought it in twenty seventeen. And uh, how many of these have you got? Look, I've got. Three of these at the moment. Three, I find them a jolly useful car. It's got a handbrake. It's got. Um, it, it's very it, familiar to our Skoda, to be honest. With you. Like it, the steering wheel is exactly the same. It, it, it's got a lovely. It's got a throttle What's pedal a, that comes out the floor like a Mark V Golf. So it's nice and heavy. BMW. So you can. Uh, so you could. So you, you're, you don't. You're not ending up balancing your. Uh, you're not hovering foot on long journeys. Yeah. So that, that's that's really good. Visibility is excellent. It's this like, is the first time I've been in a Skoda yet. Apart from the side, occasionally you can get a few blocks. Oh, your B pillars are chunky, aren't they? And this black blackout which round is rather the, unnecessary, really, around the window. And uh, this is not the best colour for it. It's in black. The other one's white and white metallic. The other one's white metallic and green metallic, which are much better. Uh, green metallic, I'm all for jungle green. Are any of them the four x four variant? No, so I've driven one by fours in the past, but economics. I mean, because I, I originally was going to pass this on to my daughter, and the insurance uh, is become, especially as they they chosen to pursue career rather than something solid like accountancy, like your good self they went to do. <laughs> I didn't last very long in that. They went so. to drama and uh, dance, which they, which they do, and so the insurance goes up. There, so you need to the one. I'm afraid the one point two engine was the obvious. Why choice. is it so expensive to insure a car if you're creative or I, in any way? I've dramatic. always thought it very unfair. That, I, but on the other hand, having said that, they do go. Yes, um, they, they sort of drive around a lot, I suppose. Well, I, I don't think it's entirely fair, but, but uh, yes. I don't yeah. think it's fair at all. Ooh. Like Your profession shouldn't indicate what your insurance premiums are. You could be a very bad driver with a very good job. 
mm. or a very good driver that is in drama. Like mm. you could be the exec, the executive of anything is probably a worse driver because of their level of entitlement. So they're more likely to be bullying people and mm. getting close to people on the motorways and not paying attention because they've got too many things going on. Mm. Whereas someone that's like, oh, I'm just off to a play that I'm in. I've got the afternoon to get there kind of thing. They're probably safer at driving. <laughs> Why is their premium higher? And also, the 4x4 petrol does about 27, 28 to the gallon. This is more like oh. 40, actually. Is this a, so which engine is this? This is one, one, but it's the second generation of the 1.2 TSI. It's only a 1.2 with the turbo. Yes, turbo. Which does, uh, it's a, they're not small. They're not small, but it's, it's just about okay. It's just about, the, the, where it's just about not okay is really when you're we're in motorway acceleration, where I, you get quite familiar with going sixth to third well, at least to ring out six, every, every little, every, yeah. every one of the 110 horse. It's 110, <laughs> oh, living the dream. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, but I, but I, I, I like the Golf 5 chassis, which is basically what it is. So, yeah, uh, I'm surprised it's a six-speed as well. Like, our Skoda's only five-speed, uh, but it's a uh, 1.6 TDI, so what? I don't think they could uh, make the six-speed up to it very easily. But, it, but, it's, but it's it's a good it's a good chassis drive dry as well. It's re, and it's got car. It's got even. It's got doesn't have keyless entry, which is great. So you don't have to worry about that. And it and but it does have, uh, uh, albeit with a with a software upgrade. It has um, uh, Apple CarPlay on the Volkswagen Mib Two. Uh, I wonder you know, if yeah. so. Did you? Did you get Apple CarPlay after an upgrade to the software? No, you just have, yes, you, you, you can get it on third parties or you can get it done at the dealer, but you have, you have to get it sort of unlocked. It's like unlocking a phone, basically. Right. I'm tempted to take ours now because ours is a 16 plate, so it would probably be on similar. It's probably got the similar to the MIB. I think it's an MIB, whatever it stands for. You have to MIB Google this two. now to find yes. out. This is probably the, <laughs> the biggest <laughs> no revelation. <laughs> the biggest revelation from this podcast is not. Oh, John Bentley introduced <laughs> Richard Porter to Top Gear and interviewed him. It's, it's oh my god, I can hack my Skoda to get Apple CarPlay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to try and bring us back into some of the oh. the reasons people might tune in to hear John Bentley talk. Well, I don't know uh, because I can mm. talk to Toyota's Warren about Toyota's warranty <laughs> to anyone, and it's the same conversation. What are some of the most like interesting? And possibly strange things that have happened in your like TV life and career. Not, there aren't many, really. Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, I've had much less exposure to this world, and I've got some interesting and strange stories. So I imagine I you've know. probably got something bizarre that's happened. It's not. It's not. I don't think anything much, uh, much bizarre, really. I did. Um, I mean. I try, I was, I, one of the most difficult things, it'll occur to me afterwards actually when I'm driving. <laughs> later, you'll well, be stuck I on the M6 list. again and it'll no, come no, back no. to you. And it'll be, uh, but I, I don't I mean, I can, I know, some of the most memorable programs I enjoyed make it. I remember going, when the, when the, it wasn't many years after the, the Iron Curtain, the, the wall had come down as well. We, we, we did a, a role, a, a documentary go doing uh, silver, the, the, the recreating the 1913 Alpine trial, which they were recreating anyway. I was only just, we were only just filming it, but that was quite a, quite cool. a to go through Croatia and um, it, Italy and stuff. And, Got to go into the, yeah, that yeah. side of Europe. Yes, which that, that was a, an enjoyable uh, uh, filming exercise. Um, yes. Um, no mad adventures where things went chaotically wrong or extremely. No, I know. I am aware that I ought to have a list of these things. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's but, fair. Uh, but uh, but but I actually don't. It, it does imply like, that there was no life-threatening situations, which is probably a good thing. I don't. Oh well, I, no. I mean, oh gosh, now you mentioned those. I suppose. Well, no. Only no. I, going across the Bristol Channel in a homemade hovercraft was probably the worst <laughs> one for that. That was a um, which. Um, 
and uh, basically you had to keep your foot on the well it wasn't a foot I think it was my hand on the on the throttle because the man said if, if it stalls it'll sink because I'm I'm not a, not the world's most nat- I'm, in fact I'm you know I get frightened by the deep end in the swimming pool so I'm not really um, <laughs> and you're like was, in the middle of the that, Bristol that Channel absolutely crapping yourself in case this yes, stalls that was bad that was bad bad one and then, and then they kind of came back into off? I don't know they, they, people, I think people tend not to see not to think of um, uh, uh, the real things and go wrong. You tend to end up, I mean, increasingly bureaucratically these days with TV, you end up filling, people end up filling in vast forms, but they haven't, um, I mean, we're even, but don't think of the obvious They miss the wood for the trees kind yes, of thing. I mean, we had that, with, we had that, even, even on the way filming drills, I think, were the, the other day, and there was a, uh, and uh, they'd, and again, they'd sent out this huge form which said, "Filled all the. Are we going to be cold on location? You needed to dress up and all this, this sort of stuff." And no, nobody had actually worked out whether, whether you actually needed to be wearing ear defenders <laughs> and uh, you know the obvious health and safety stuff. And so you know, then John, do you know? And I said, "No, I don't." Know. <laughs> Where are your goggles? Oh yeah, yeah there was well, something we were missing. The awful thing is, we're not allowed to show it as a result of because it's thought to be uh, sort of imi- uh, imitation, uh, imitating. Behavior that you've, but um, well, you yes. can't then condone this behavior to mm. others. Sort of thing, I think. Yeah. Yes, I don't know. That. I've uh, I've had some encounters with that recently because of the company I work for make um, welding equipment and car body repair equipment and heat induction equipment. Mm. Heat induction is magic. It's actual witchcraft. Basically, Ooh. it's a stick with an electromagnet on the end, mm. and you heat up metal almost instantly. Right. Just by holding this stick, it's like your induction hob, but more powerful. Yeah, but at like mm. twenty-two thousand mm. watts. So mm. you have this big old stick, and you put it near eight mil steel, and within like three seconds, it's glowing hot. In fact, Ed China used one of our machines mm. on one of his shows. But we have a lot of customers, and they always send us, "Oh, I'm using your machine in the workshop." I'm like, "Great, I can't share it. You've got no gloves on." So oh. all this wonderfully interesting stuff that people are doing. Because they've not got goggles on, or they've not got gloves on, I can't share any of it. Like with welding or dent pulling and stuff like that. Not you feel, not you feel you're actually in any danger from it properly. But it's just you've got to be, you've got to be going. You've through got to be things, seen to be doing, doing it the right properly. Yeah. And in fairness, it could in, in certain very unfortunate situations, it could be very helpful. Yeah, it's yeah, for the one time it goes wrong. That's what the PPE is mm, there mm, for. And you go, oh, I've done this a thousand times with no gloves. Like, yeah, but one time you might forget mm. to, that the thing is hot that you've just almost melted into pure metal and touch it and now you're in hospital because you didn't have the right gloves on mm. it's not for the the every time you use it it's for that one opportunity where it goes wrong so it's very similar for us where it's like i can't use any of these awesome things because you're not you've missed that one little thing and now i can't share it um, one, one, one of the frustrating ones i can remember with the, the, the gaddy show was where we were trying to because uh, we'd got through this thing breaking various world records of, of, of um uh, and uh, uh, there was one with the, the most the fast, the fastest you go in a car driven by power tool motors was one of them. <laughs> it was, it was annoying. That, that, that was slightly annoying because we'd actually, well, uh, originally, well, originally they wanted to do it in a scaled down drag racer, which was I thought was it wasn't actually a junior drag racer. It was someone one somebody taking a full scale drag racer and scaled it down, which was quite obvious that wasn't stable. So, uh, <laughs> so, so, the, so we actually went to they actually went to the effort of building a, a marvelous um, small dragster chassis, but then somehow. 
well, we had six power tool motors. The whatever software was that was supposed to be linking them together or something failed to work on the day. So we ended up having at Santa Pod actually breaking the record. But instead of doing that, I'd worked out this thing was going to be capable of about 190, 80, 90 miles an hour. Jeez. We actually got to 72. <laughs> so, but that was enough to break no, the record. Everyone was absolutely delighted. We broke the record. No, but this was it was so far off it was possible. Yes, and I was so cross. Well, I, 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 nearly, I didn't lose my temper. I, I think I think I'm Done. I'm going home. I drove all the way to Northamptonshire for nothing. That was a very frustrating. Did you ever revisit that project? No, I don't think. No, I think that was. So that shattering everything exists somewhere. I don't. I presume it was sold on. I actually did try and find out. It sounds like a Johnny Smith kind of project. That like tell Johnny Smith this thing existed and he'll probably try and find it because he had the fastest electric. Enfield, his marvelous Enfield electric. Yeah. So I imagine. God, that car is very close. Sorry, Ooh. we're sat in a car park and there's an Igo squeezing oh, between us both. Oh, no, both. <laughs> yes. God, going into a disabled bay, nearly clipped the front of mine, nearly clipped your wing mirror. Ooh. We're in a pretty big car park as well. They didn't necessarily need to go and do that. Um, yeah, that could have been a live stream of us being in a very small crash. And he's got a Dukes of Hazards jacket on with a Dodge Charger on the back, Ooh, right. full General Lee <laughs> on it. And he's just parked in a disabled bay. And I'm, pretty, I'm not... Not making assumptions, but he didn't seem to spend any time putting a blue badge in that dashboard before he jumped out. Mm. Um, Mm. Fun times. But, uh, okay, so you nearly died in the Bristol Channel. You set a world record, but we're still disappointed. (laughs) Yes, I know. Um, Any other madness? On 50, I enjoyed the... uh, what an enjoyable shoot was the breaking a caravan record. That was a caravan <laughs> jump record, which which the local originally set it up, which I spoke to was in Australia, nice chap, and he deliberately did two versions of it. He did the one which he he set, which he was pretty certain nobody would ever break. I mean, probably has done this was years ago. I don't know, yeah, nobody, yeah. but uh, uh, where you had to continue. Right, towing your caravan into the <laughs> to the end, Afterwards. and and one where this, this this requirement was not part of the record. So we did that. Uh, I'm guessing you did the the one where it continued first, and then <laughs> the one where he smashed. No, the we caravan didn't. We didn't even try the one where it continued. I did, think, but uh, but it went to it. Went, uh, I wasn't driving it. It was a very splendid stunt. Driver to uh, driving. It was a BMW 535. I got when you could get BMW 535 very cheaply. Oh, yes. so that would be what an E thirty nine. I get mixed up with my numbers. Oh, so many of them, and uh, and uh, it was uh, it was it was good. I mean, I, I think the reason the previous owner got rid of it, I only paid about six six seven hundred quid, but it was the um, uh, uh, heat heat uh, heat heat heater matrix had gone. That's right. Oh right, which was, uh, was of no use for you that. anyway. <laughs> no, we're going to jump a caravan. Do mm. we need the heater to work? No, nah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Guy's going to have a helmet mm. on. He'll be fine. <laughs> mm. so, that was a, that was a, that was a good day. Yes. Oh, it is always fun being near my car yes, when there are strangers near it. Your GT86 is getting admirers. Well, there's a, a sticker on the front that's a big mustache. Ah. With it, it's okay to talk written through, and a, a gentleman of a, in his fifties, I'd have guessed, mm. almost walked into another car to try and see what that sticker <laughs> is. And because yes. we're sat in the car adjacent, it's not obvious that that's my car. So I get to see what other people think of it, it from says, a distance. It says on it, cars are to go to driving mental health awareness. I mean, down the holes, I think, I mean, cars are pretty good for your mental health, I think. And I think that's yeah. often overlooked. I agree. And there's mm. a big part of car enthusiasts get roped in as the boy racers. Mm. And there's probably 90% of the car world isn't that group. But because that's an easy target, that's all that anybody sees of the car enthusiast world. And a, a huge part of cars is the community and bringing people together and 
just going for a drive or working on a car or mm. cleaning your car is good for your brain. Mm. They are a, a really good thing for you outside of boy races. And I think there's a, a lot of mm. stigma against car enthusiasts that is unjust. And yes, well, I, I generally, I think they are. I mean, and one mustn't. Under, I mean, I, I think the RAC. I'm sure they are. It's old, it was old Edmund King or whatever it was the when he was the RAC. Things now the A. I'm sure he commissioned some sort of psychological uh, oh, psychiatry report, yeah. and it says that it actually sort of, scientists say that actually. I mean, obviously, clear. There's the other side, the terrible other side, obviously. Transport in general is, it, it, it does actually kill a lot of people as well. Obviously, one has to recognise that. But I think on balance, um, yeah, I think it's, 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 the positive must not be must not be underestimated. I mean, it gets it gets me to be. Is, is there a difference in urban versus rural? Do you think in our attitudes to cars? Possibly, I think like large built-up areas tend to be a lot more not aggressive, but kind of anxiety-inducing because it's a high congestion of vehicles all trying to get somewhere mm. and there's a lot of people around and you're not like necessarily flowing smoothly and things like that. Whereas out in the countryside, oh, I'll just tootle along down these country lanes and then go to the farm shop or the pub or whatever and it's a lot more relaxed and I think people outside of cities have a bit more of a romantical relationship with the vehicle than mm. people in, say, like a very congested space where... The car is just to get you to another point, and it's not this passion as such. Like obviously, there are car enthusiasts in cities, but the general consensus around cars is not the same. Whereas out in the countryside, a car can be a lot more than just a, mm. I need to get to work, what's mm. the best vehicle for doing that? It can be a, which one do I like the look of, which one feels most interesting, and, and that kind of thing. And then obviously, there's a huge social aspect to personal transportation. Mm. Back when it was less common, people were stuck in small communities whereas as personal transportation has become available you can go further and see more and meet mm. new people and travel almost endlessly really mm. I, mean, I mean an extreme environmental viewpoint would be that you shouldn't really travel at all you should have all your you should stay at home stay at yeah. home and have all your facilities at, at, at most at the end of the street or within walking distance or, or whatever but well, the flip know. side of that is how mm. does stuff get to you because mm. you then have an amazon van constantly circling oh, yes, these communities yeah, dropping stuff off and the stuff that people are ordering from amazon are coming from all over the planet whereas if you were like right we'll shop local make local and we'll get rid of online shopping things like that the environmental impact would be great but we'd miss out on so much of the, the fun wonderful things mm. that exist in the world mm. it's a it's a real like balancing act in sustaining the environment and sustaining this way of life of freedom to do things and see things and try things and buy things and all that sort of stuff. Mm. It's, it's all it's all very. I mean, that's why why I I couldn't resist that. Uh, I mean, in twenty nineteen, I wrote twenty eighteen. I wrote a book about, uh, which I published in twenty nineteen on the future of the car. And I tried to think through all these different things. Uh, you know, whether whether <laughs> autonomy. Been a brain ache after doing it, it, It's hard work. I, I doing. I mean, I, I, one mustn't. If you've ever attempted to do seventy or eighty thousand words on something, I think it would. It's, uh, there's a. I, I think there's a part of everybody that would love to write a book. And then there's only a few people that go, I'll give this a go. And then there's an even fewer people that go, I've done this because it's such a horrible time. I wrote, I wrote my first, like, mm. technically my first commission piece oh. for a magazine recently. Mm. And it, it was the editor went, I'd like you to write about what you do, which is a hard task because you go, I need to do this without seeming like I'm boasting. Because your inherent thing is to feel bad about saying how positive the things you do are. Um, so it was technically a commission piece, but it was about me. And it's for my own benefit because it's like brand awareness, things like that. And I sat there and it, was, it took me about four hours to do seven, eight hundred words. Because you start writing, you go, oh no, 
I seem like a right egomaniac by going, I do this and it's amazing. You go, maybe I need to be humble. And then it's like, oh, now I need to actually talk about what I'm doing and bring it up. And it's horrible. And I managed a thousand words and it took me a whole, like, I'm borderline ADHD in that I'll do something and then I'll just get it done and then I'll move on to another thing. And my attention will last for however long this job is. Mm. And then I'll get, right, I've done that. On to the next. So I didn't go right. I've got to write this piece. I'll. I've got three weeks to do it. I'll do the intro and then I'll see how that and I'll build a structure. I got to like the night before the deadline. I went right. I've got to write this. Da, 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 done. Happy. Off we go. And so far, I've been quite lucky in that my natural ability has carried me this far, <laughs> <laughs> and people haven't caught on to the fact that I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but to go from a thousand words for a couple of pages to 80,000 for a whole book. It's, 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 uh, yes, you always feel as though uh, you were behind. I said myself, it was something like 18 months to, to write it or something. And I wanted to do lots of research. So I went around and see various people and talk to people and so on about uh, various future scenarios. And it was just, it, it, and, uh, but you always feel as though you're behind. Certainly, that's certainly a... Which is a horrible th- <laughs> feeling. Like, how, did, how was that last 18 months here? I just continuously felt like I was <laughs> not doing enough work. It's not a great place to be. No, although, it, it, yes, I, don't, I haven't thought of another subject I want to find out about yet <laughs> so much. So. The one that I always find impressive is Richard Porter's ability to write books on the most mundane oh, parts of the car, car world. Yeah. Well, it is boring car driving, one, two, and three. Yeah, it? yeah. It's it's, like with the, one, the one which had the, the actual not-quite-a-306 dashboard on the front was, uh, was number two. I yeah. don't know how he <laughs> pulls these things into it. Like, no, it's like, I'm going to pull mm. this information out of the ether somehow and mm. find out all this useless, boring trivia that is actually quite interesting because oh, it of is, its yeah. useless mm. boringness. Mm. It's almost like uh, a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy thing where it's like, it was so useless and boring that it was actually interesting <laughs> <laughs> and the zygons are over the call would love it and they'll write poetry about it um but yeah i, I think you're, you're spot on in that the the mental health side of the car world is unrepresented or not represented enough obviously i'm doing my bit and there are other organizations and people doing their bits but i think the general population's opinion of the car world as an enthusiast is is not aware of that side as much as it should be and it's hard like for my best efforts it's hard to get into mainstream like mindset and conversation about it all there's, there, there is that which is wonderful but there's also i suppose that even people who aren't a car enthusiasts their their outlook is massively improved by um, by just simply being able to get around certainly if you're not if you're not actually in a city where you've got a comprehensive public transport network i mean just the opportunities it's still for, for employment and yeah, social yeah. and romance and all this sort of thing is all massively in, 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 in increased yeah and I, I think for that general population the focus for that will be that we want to be able to keep this freedom and make it environmentally possible mm. because those two things kind of have to happen now they they can't continue the way that they are mm. or have been they have to be economically viable for them the safety of the planet basically and mm. if that's a sacrifice that i don't think people would like to make that sacrifice of losing their personal freedoms no in that sense it'd be, it'd be nice to i mean, I mean there's, enough, there's tons of energy landing on the earth every day yeah. i mean we, we, let's we'll, harness it in a different let's way. harness it and make sure it, i mean again one has hopes for hydrogen as well as part of that mix of energy. yeah as for I mean, sure the mirai works very well as a car apart from the fact there aren't any fuel stations yeah but as long as you live near <laughs> a hydrogen fuel station it's great and it's now got an increased range so actually i mean i did find when there was the fuel tanker short uh, problems uh, uh, recently. I mean, I never felt any range anxiety in a petrol 
car with a typical 400, 450, as long as I was setting out with a full tank. I mean, obviously, there would be cases, presumably, where you might feel it, but, but for my driving use, I, I never I think that was the challenge, anxiety. is that you had, when that all happened, you had, like, the first week where the people that only had a quarter of a tank in were like, oh, crap. And then they went and filled up. And then that week was jam-packed. And then the second week was people who had started the first week with a full tank, <laughs> then had an empty tank, and like, oh, now we all need to fill it. So it, it, it wasn't necessarily that the range anxiety or anything like that. It was literally just as people were running out of fuel, it kind of coincided into those kind of two groups of people that started out much and needed to fill up and therefore all jammed in at the first point where they were like, ah, there's a fuel shortage. We need to fill up because we haven't got any. And then the people that were kind of a bit smug going, oh, I've got a full tank, so I'm okay. And then by the second week, they're like, oh, I've not got a full tank anymore. Now we all need to go. And that's what kind of dragged it out for that second week. We were unfortunate enough that we broke down in the middle of it. And we thought it was that the fuel had run out because we were in the Renault and it got to a quarter of a tank, which is your your danger zone because how accurate is a 35-year-old yes. petrol mm, gauge? Mm. And uh, it turned out it was the carburetor. A piece had snapped and it created a vacuum leak. So I had to. I got a lift. We we're in. How to um, diagnose that easily? So we'd rebuilt my we, my friend Luke, whose dad has the workshop and he has the classic car dealership. Who he's been a guest on here. Um, the car was running a bit lumpy when I got it, so we were trying to figure out what was causing that. So we'd, they'd rebuilt the carb and found this plate had a small crack in it. He said we've bolted it down. The pressure of everything should hold it for the time being, but be mindful mm. that that could happen. And then we were in, um, I can't remember where it was now. It's not a million miles from here, on the way back from an event. And it had been, a, it was, we'd got there at six in the morning. It was our half eight at night on the way back for it. It was a two day thing. So we were then back up in the morning again. So we were tired and it had been a long day. And we're coming through and it just died. And we're at the top of a hill with three roundabouts to navigate. And we, I was like, well, we're coasting until we have to stop because the last place I want to stop is on a dual carriageway. Because there's three roundabouts, we can just dive off one if we have to. And we got all the way through these roundabouts, pulled into a bus stop, which for some reason was a parking space at night, Mm. opposite a takeaway. But it was in the middle of this fuel crisis. So the car died. I was like, I reckon it's just run out of fuel. We'll top it up. I'll walk to wherever the nearest petrol station is, get a jerry can, and hopefully find a nice, kind person to let me go in front of them and fill it up. And these guys from the takeaway came over. And it was all Iranian guys. One of them was like, this guy is a mechanic, but he only speaks Iranian or Arabic. So I'll translate. And there's like six of us trying to get this little mm. Renault to start. One of them gave me a lift to the petrol station so that I could get a jerry can and fill it up. And I walked back and it turns out it was this plate. So I had to wait for the AA. Um, but that was the most awkward thing in my recent memory of walking into a petrol station, buying a jerry can and walking out to an absolutely full forecourt with cars queuing down the road and going... Excuse me, can I please fill my jerry can up before you fill your car up? Because my car's broken down. Because ah. uh, my initial perception is people are going to think, oh, this guy's getting himself a jerry yes. can, so he's mm. got some spare. And I'm like, mm. no, I've genuinely broken down. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, the joys of cars and yes. relying on fuel and things like that when there's yes. supply mm. and demand issues. Um, but I, th- I think, yeah, if if we want to maintain this kind of accessibility to travel... And we want to maintain, an, or we want to provide a way to do that economically for the planet. Mm. I'm not sure electric is quite the way. I think it has potential, but I, I think, think the way... It's be part of the solution, isn't it? Particularly for short journeys when, when the cars can be relatively light and when... when yeah, like a Honda City E is a good... I think the 
the ways to harness batteries or create batteries is probably the biggest problem. Like it's not a perfect system of the natural resource required, or at least the way that we get the natural resource required is the challenge. Well, that, that's a negative. This charging time is also still a negative. And I mean, the new battery technologies seem to emerge every day, but they, they're never quite yeah. tested. So, you either, and at the moment, it's still a, a gradual improvement. But still well, we're still quite reliant on, well, coal as a energy supplier, so aren't we? I, I, I well, it's only only about on a good day. It's about half renewable if, if you're really lucky. In, in Britain, is is uh, right. It, it's yeah. raining today, so we're probably not on that. Not getting much sun. Not getting much wind either. No, that's a, so so we're water on, power. If we had hydropower, but, but we're uh, an island. Not, not we're surrounded by tidal. Tides. Tidal. Yeah. Tidal is a tidal is a is, is a positive. As is uh, yes, and, and uh, there is the thought that then all all that surplus. Tidal energy in Orkney or wherever is going to be, and already is to some extent, being and being converted into hydrogen, or stored in the form of hydrogen. One of the coolest mm. ones I've seen is, I can't remember where it is, this is a huge lake, and it's got what looks like a tower in the middle of it, mm. and under the water there's a big thing that spins around, and it's just Ooh. pushed by the water. That's a re- it's a really cool, there's some really ingenious ways, like there's mm. that, um, the tidal, it looks like a series of floats, and they're big, really big, like, the size of a lorry big mm. and there's several of them and they just bob up and down in the water mm. but they're on like a rail so as they bob up and down they turn the rail a quarter of a turn or whatever mm. and then that harnesses energy and there's some like really quite interesting creative ways of harnessing different energies another tidal one is this big snake it's mm. all these cylinders and they float around and bob up and down and all that movement creates energy mm. and i think there's interesting and creative ways to do it Mm. And I think as we get better at storing energy and mm. less natural requirement yes. to create batteries and create energy, we'll get better at all this stuff. Mm. Do, you, do you often get asked the question, if you had just had, only had to have one make of car, um, which four cars would you have? Uh, which make would it be? I'm surprised. It's just, people, I've never hand counted that question, but I've encountered it twice in the last month. Well, you've already got an answer. <laughs> I've now got to think I had an no, answer. No, it's not fair, because I, 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 I had no answer either. I couldn't think. I think you could, to be fair, you're quite limited, think, though, aren't you? Like, well, what, what do you need vehicles for? Mm. Or what could you need them for in the future? And we're of two different generations, so we're going to have different future mm. needs. And who makes those, that range of vehicles? Mm. For me, I'm kind of leaning towards Toyota and BMW. Mm. So for Toyota, I can have a sports car, a city car, mm. an SUV, and a family car. Mm. BMW, I can have everything. When I say SUV, probably mean a pickup truck or like a oh, really something a bit more commercial. Yes. As my business grows, yeah, yeah. I need to be able to transport big things around and gazebos and things like that, or tow trailers and Ooh, stuff. Yes, gosh. Yeah. So if I needed four, I could have my GT86 or a Supra mm. if I ever get a going one. Um, <laughs> the Igo Cross, oh, yes, the new which is one, a lot bigger than the Igo, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it well, looks like it's, it's an Igo on stilts with some yeah. plastic trim, but it somehow looks huge. Mm. Um, they'll probably do an electric version of that as well mm. at some point, or I could go for a like a hybrid Corolla or the full electric if they do one of those at some point soon for like a city car. Which is and better than the earlier Corollas, the hybrid. It does feel it does feel better to drive than a, I had mm. um, a Yaris the other oh. day. I got upgraded from my Igo. I got a Yaris this time. And it was a, I think it was a 1.4 petrol, but it had flappy paddles. Ooh. <laughs> it was actually really good fun. I mean, I was only driving around Milton Keynes, so it was all mm. roundabouts and dual carriageways, which is basically Mario Kart. Mm. So I was like, I'm just going to put it in manual and see how much fun I can have. I was like, really, like, it's all 70, so you absolutely blitz it everywhere, and you're downshifting. 
Yes. Oh, yes, that's it's lovely. Milkies is still a lovely driving environment. It's great fun <laughs> yeah. to, to just play around mm. if you actually want to so, catch it. you out, rather, if you've, been, if you've been concentrating on, you know, uh, not, not getting caught by any speed cameras everywhere. Yeah. Then suddenly you go to Milton Keynes and everything. Everything's zooming a around. 70 <laughs> and it's mad, which is great fun. It's terrible for the fuel economy because you go 0 to 70 to 0 to 70 because of all the bloody roundabouts. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think Toyota, you can have, mm-hmm. I, so I can have my sports car, I can have a city car if I need a city car, which will possibly be a need in the future. Mm-hmm. I can have something more commercial, like a, a big RAV4 mm-hmm. or a Hilux. Mm-hmm. And I can have a family car, like a, well, the RAV4 would probably be the family mm-hmm. car, because that's a massive thing. I don't know if they do an estate version of the Corolla, though. They do. Do they? I think you can get it as an, uh, uh, or indeed you can get it slightly cheaper, but it's a Suzuki, which I'm, for reasons I'm not entirely something to... <laughs> I don't know why you'd, they do that, but mm. I can understand the economical. It's even cheaper somehow than the maybe, Toyota. Version. Or maybe it meets. Maybe it helps Suzuki meet their emissions. Oh, possibly. Uh, MPG yeah. average or something. Well, I that's how it ended up with the Jimny. Signet, isn't it? Because Aston Martin needed to yes, meet their, yes. their MPG emissions, and they're like, right, we'll build a million of these tiny little Toyota mm. IQs with Aston mm. Martin badges on, so that we can mm. build a hundred DB9s or whatever it was. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think Toyota ticks those boxes in mm. interesting ways. But I think BMW do, except for the more commercial size vehicle, because mm. I can have an M2, mm. I can have an i. Well, they don't do the i3 anymore, do, do they? They do, that, they do that amazing living room on wheels, which is actually incredibly compatible to the iX. Yeah. Is that what that is now? Oh, yeah, but it looks awful. Does it? I know, but BMW have a way of being ahead of... They, 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 like, they, they come up with something that we think, oh, my God, that's absolutely terrible. And then, and then you go, yeah, I just quite like that. Like the i3, that was an awful car, and it kind of got a little bit more charmful over its life, oh, and now it's gone. But the i8, do they still do the i8? Have they canned that as well? They do that um, the version of the uh, four series. What is, it? is that? What, 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 what arrangement of letters is that? Is that an I four? Oh, they um, do the uh, like the like the because the they're, they're, they're adding ease onto the end of everything now as well, aren't I get they? Mixed so. up. I'm a bit out of touch with what. Yeah. So, ooh. But I think that's very good, was a good drive. I think when I. So, but uh, I don't. I, the, the make I came up with rather to my surprise was Vauxhall. Oh right! Well, for four cars, so, so I could have a. V- I wanted something that's like an Elise, but not a because um, Elise is so a lovely. Uh, oh, with the VX220, it's equal. Going into the back catalogue as well. I thought we were just going. Oh no! Perhaps I should have made that. Ah oh, no! Oh, shit. Back catalogue. Now we've oh. got a different storyline. Yeah, sorry, I should have said that, but I didn't want to com- compromise your uh, <laughs> my thread. Your lod, yes. I'd got onto that your, chain. Uh, like Voxel is great though. Yeah, you can have VX220. Convert to the turbo, probably. It's, all, it's, all, it's a good. That's such a lovely tactile car. It's just as good as the as the Elise. There's lots of it. So there's uh, um, you can have a uh, the Monaro. You could, yeah. which uh, is very practical actually. Apart if you wanted to go even more practical, you could have the Malu. Which was the was pickup the truck oh, version it? of oh, the Monaro. Yes. <laughs> it's the Australian not, it's not market that I, I, I did was privileged to drive a Monaro when it was new and really enjoyed it. So that was, uh, that, was that was on the list. My car I passed my test in was my mother's Vauxhall Cavalier Mark One, which I still have huge <laughs> memories of. Because they were really well sorted, I think, those rear-wheel drive Opal chassis of the 70s. Were there any at Festival of Exceptional? There was one that's appeared, a lovely... Two door. Oh. The two doors are all made in Belgium, and the Belgian-made ones are better. And because uh, uh, we had both in uh, my my childhood and uh, my youth, and uh, 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 yeah, but there's only been one red one that's appeared appeared in the car park and and in the and the selected cars one one right. year, which is uh, lovely one point six. Some uh, so anyway, that, that's how I'd have one of those. Then there's more or less the last one could be more or less anything. I mean, you could go for a 30, something vintage like thirty ninety eight, you know, the world's first sports car, printed yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of things, or uh, 
or um, or or sort of some sort of practical pickup that you might need, or anything virtually you could get for your what last. What kind of pickup did Vauxhall make? I don't know what the, uh, be the challenge. I think I end up some sort of. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I end up at Toyota again then. You end up Toyota yes. because if I wanted something cool and old, Toyota have got that covered. I could have I've a bloody 2000 GT. GT, yes, yeah. indeed. I was wondering, yes. So the a, full experience. There was one... As opposed to a Carina. Yeah. The shovel nose, it was quite fun. But you could yeah. also then yeah. lean into Nissan. Nissan did some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. I think I'd, you probably could have actually any... I think any mate, yeah. Probably yeah. Then it boils down to mate. which ones do you want. And I think yeah. if I was going... I'd probably end up with Toyota again, because I would mm. love an original Celica. Yes. Before it became the Celica Supra, that one, where it's like a muscle car. Yes, I'm trying to get my which was oh, because of the seventies leak or seventy two was it? But there was whether there weren't any before seventy two were there? No, I don't think that so. But that one, seventy one to K range. Uh, that's probably the one I'd go for. With the, with the, with the like the Capri light little <laughs> straights yeah, on the side, did that? Perfect. Oh yeah. Um, and then I, I can keep my GT eighty six. I mm. really like that car. I could slap a supercharger on it, make it even more fun. Or I could go full like 2000 GT. I can have an actual original Hilux spec like the one from Back to the Future Ooh. with the hella lights and all that. I'd go for that. Mm. I, to be fair, I'm just going to go with all these old cars and then like something modern that will be reliable and do 60 on the motorway. Yeah. And then Toyota's got me covered. Yeah. Great. Oh, and Toyota aren't paying me to say any of this. So I, no. <laughs> I will no. criticise as much as I'll promote. <laughs> but we, it's been very much a heavy uh, Toyota doing a good thing kind of podcast. Yes, yeah, yeah, so yeah, so yeah, so well, I've got another one as well. Which, uh, what, uh, I, uh, which I've had since new, uh, 2001 Yaris. Now that... Nice. That, well, it's very good for festival, it, even though it's actually too new. Uh, but it, it was... <laughs> they let me in well, the car park with the festival, the festival of the Unexceptional. So, uh, and it's, uh, a friend of mine has a Mark 1 RAV4. Ooh. That he brought to um, Radwood, which you were at oh, as well. Yes. You? So we were inside. Mm. That lovely green Rav Four was Ooh. a friend of mine, and he strapped his Sinclair C Five to the roof. Brought that along oh, with him. Yes, gosh, I remember driving those with the new. Yes. Well, we uh, Ooh, we were <laughs> messing around on that and causing all sorts of fun at Radwood, and then my other half was riding it, and the Ghostbusters car was behind her, oh. which she hadn't realised. She was like, "I just need to do a U-turn and go back." Turned around and nearly got sideswiped by the Ghostbusters car. There's a lovely Celica there, wasn't there? There's a lot of lovely Celicas around. My dad had a GT4 a few years ago, which he sold. Mm. which I was annoyed about because he sold it for like 900 quid. I was like, I'd have given you 900 quid for it. It's a Celica GT4. <laughs> it's a rally <laughs> car, Jesus. But uh, mm. yeah, I think Toyota kind of tick a lot of boxes for me. Ooh. Uh, mm. I'm trying to think what else could tick those kind of boxes. Mm. Mazda do some interesting stuff. And they're yes, under, somewhat underrated from... Mazda. Yes, I was thinking. I would say actually as currently as new car offerings, they seem, they seem to, dip, to go Their under the radar. Their design is really nice. Yes, I think it's been... It's got a name, hasn't it? That design, I can't remember, uh, principle or something. Like oh, there was that Futori or whatever it was oh, called yeah. that Maybe the RX-8 that, and everything was on. Mm. And then they've moved on from that to a new style, which I... And they drive well, the ones that... I mean, I'm, 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 I used to get quite a few cars that were driving around for shoots as hire cars, which was... Yeah, which, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not... We don't seem to get hire cars which have disappeared off the face of the earth as part of this, uh, this whatever, chip shortages or economic catastrophes. Where them, no, you? people are saying they can't... Get, can't, yeah. I'd hire your car, but we can't get one. <laughs> which is not, what else is not really a problem. But I'm just, uh, um. well, my, Grace had my other half had a Mazda 2 when we met, the Sport, Ooh. which Ooh. was a fun little thing. Not quite as fast as the Suzuki Swift Sport, though, which was annoying. Ooh. But it was 100cc down. Um, uh, it's one of, sadly, I've always been slightly too big for MX-5s. Well, that's why you need a GT86, because it's oh, like right. an MX-5 coupe ah. with headroom. 
with headroom, which the and super doesn't seats. have. Does it not? No, that's why it's even despite of the little sort of. Because <laughs> that's got the little double bubble wear a helmet ah. if you want to thing, mm. but it's got back seats which fold down, ah. so you've actually got usable space. I've moved house in that three times. Ah. You can get an IKEA flat pack bed in the back of there if you Gosh. don't have any passengers. Um, again, I'm just promoting Toyota at this point. Yes, yeah. but yeah, MX-5 is a great car, but I think I'd rather have an RX-7 if I was going sporty. But which one? The, the, the FD, or? not oh, the, the FC. FD, which is obviously more than a Victor. What was it? Uh, there was a... The FD was the 90s round one, which is when the MX-5 yes. came out, so they have a similar design style. The FC was the square, wedge-shaped one that matched the Mark III Supra. Mm. Um, I have a reasonable amount of Japanese car knowledge, not oh, wow, yeah. to the mm. level that a lot of people mm. do, but mm. a reasonable amount. Just I drive a Japanese car, and therefore I'm in the groups. And you mm. learn these things, and things like initial D exist, mm. and stuff like that. I don't fondly remember an Integra type R, was it? Don't Lovely. I? There's, I think they had two or three of those, because that was three door mm. front engine, but that's Honda, obviously. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Yeah. Mazda also did this really cool little pickup truck. A friend of mine has one from like the eighties. But also, their sub brand is the Cos- is it Cosmo. Is it what's the what's the? Oh, a bit like Autozam kind of thing. I thought it was like it was almost like um, oh, I don't know, it's like like a sporty sub brand. And it, why they haven't exploited this heritage it surprises me. I don't even know about it. That's God, have I gone completely? No, you, you're probably right, and I'm just probably misremembering. Uh, and, if, and if only we could get the internet here in this car park, we might be all right in the car park. In, inside the pub, we, oh, oh, I'm, I'm 3G, so uh, might take I think we're even worse. But, uh, um, we've got I want, ah 4G. You got four. Jealous. But I, I have to say, this is uh, I found with this the Cosmo Wikimedia Commons. It was a quirky little sports car that they did, but I don't know if it became a whole I brand. Might, it seems more like a uh, you know the equivalent of the Toyota 2000. I mean, there we are. There's one. That's very cool. Do you think it had a rotary engine? I doubt. It did oh, did it? In oh, this yes, episode of the podcast, two men you Google cars on. <laughs> Well, actually, it seems that there was a rotary. Uh, yes, the rotary engine. It did, yes, the, the Cosmo did have a rotary engine. Amazing, because that's what they're obviously known yes, for, is the rotary yes. stuff. So that An RX-3 would be a fun car as well. <laughs> it looks like a long it Lotus like Elan, doesn't it? nuclear powers or something. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Ah, like someone that? took a Lotus Elan and kind of just stretched it a little bit. And then... But why haven't they exploited that heritage? They're probably aiming for future too much. That seems to be their thing, is like, what's the future? They don't mm. seem to lean into the history stuff as much. But even the ordinary Mazda's drive, I mean, Mazda 3 drives very well. I mean, uh, um, we okay. were weighing up a Mazda 3 over the Skoda, to be fair. Mm, and they do that. the MX-30 now as well. That's a smart-looking car. Whatever it's called. CX-30. CX-30, There is another 30, but it's battery, isn't it, with a short range. It's rather, oh, in, the, right, it's okay. rather in the... Um, the Honda. It's not in the Honda E-Mold at all, actually. It's because it's much bigger, but it's uh, it's got the same sort of range. Right, I see. Um, oh, I can't remember. There's too many new cars these days. And they oh, just no, keep popping no, no, up from no, no, everywhere. No. And the, the thing is, old cars are inherently a lot more interesting for me. Because ah. um, I'm not in a new car buying market. Someone was talking to me the other day about um, the... I think it's the 18 to 30 market is the most likely to buy an electric car and the least likely to be able to afford it. So they're just not buying them because they can't afford them. But they're most like, yep, I want to buy it, I will buy it, but I can't afford to. Um, so the people most likely to engage are the last people that can afford to buy the cars. (laughs) I don't think there'd be any use to my... 
my uh, my uh, daughters in that category because they, they're just travelling across Europe. <laughs> well, there's that one. There's also the. Uh, I mean, even then, she, she was uh, yeah, was saying, well, I've got I've got this doing a tour with this dance company. I, I, I'm I'm one of the designated drivers because I've got to carry some of the props. And uh, oh yeah, well we're going to we're doing Peter Lowest off to top this in Carlisle. I said, oh, <laughs> I hope you're going it's to take us six for... days. Yeah, <laughs> yes. jeez. Oh, well the mileage for electric cars is nothing these days. Though. It's like five p a mile. Is that what the people for that... corporate? So one of our guys who's got a Tesla and his company car, like his mileage reclaim is five p a mile. But I thought, but I thought electricity costs going up. I thought this was no longer. It no might be changing like currently, but advantage, but mm. yeah, because he he was saying if he uses a fast charger mm. on the road, mm. it's not worth his while to do the mileage. But if he charges mm. at home, he I just think, about think, breaks I think, even. I think the key to electric, uh, yes, home the starting point is to have definitely need a home charger and possibly even two if you have if you're if two you've got family yeah, yeah. family with a lot of car users. And um, I'm not, I, I I really would like one at home, and I just. I'm just slightly worried that our 19s, late 60s electrics are not going to... Cause I had the electric- copper wiring so thin. I had an electrician come around and he said, and he said I really wouldn't advise this. There's probably nothing wrong with your electrics, but we've got to test it all before we fit one of these. Yeah. And something's going to, you know, you're going to have to rip up a floor or refer to, oh, God, or It's another challenge that people mm. have to consider before they mm. can move in that direction, though, isn't it? Like, yeah. If you're like, right, we're going to remodel the house, great, we'll slap an yes, electric charger in there. absolutely. But if you're not in that position and you're not wanting to do that mm. yet, you're probably going to hold off until you need yes, to. I, I think that, yeah. It's not cheap to do, so... Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, but I am conscious that we've, Ooh, God, we've been chatting, off. which yeah. is great. And also, is, we're in a pub car park and the Yeti is now completely misted up. Yeah, you're not going to be able to see where you're going to well, go. It's not, it's not that. What, what will people think? <laughs> <laughs> There's two blokes in that pub car park. <laughs> It's all steamy. What's going on? Mm. <laughs> it's bloody one o'clock in the afternoon. Come on, guys. Um, no, we've been we've been Ooh, chatting gosh. for an hour and a half, Blimey. which is mm. which is great because you don't so realise that the ta- <laughs> no, I, these don't get edited at all. Oh, really? I, I will do an intro back at home, and then this will go out, Ooh. and that's how it works because that's the idea. Uh, mm. I'm as I've said, I'm too lazy to to really do the full in depth stuff, and I'm also too busy to be able to give it that level of attention. But I kind of think that that's kind of part of the charm of what I'm doing is, Mm. as I said, it's me in a spare room doing all of this stuff, trying to make a difference. Mm. And you get what you get. That's that's how it works. Um, Mm. But it's been an absolute pleasure. And Mm. if I get chance, we'll have to extort some more of these exciting stories that you've got buried away somewhere. Yes, I have to start writing them down. Um, Yes. And... No, it's been an absolute pleasure. So, where can people keep up with all the things John Bentley? Oh my God, I, I, uh, I, I, I've got a, I've got a, a, a sort of Twitter account. I don't, tend, I'm not very terribly active on social media. I've got a very, very basic website which links to everything, which is johnbentley.com, and uh, which has virtually very little information at all on it. And I, I do <laughs> occasionally produce uh, uh, tweets and Instagram things, and uh, at uh, John Bentley ninety usually. Well, we'll uh, just go with that. That'll, it's J O N John without an H. John without a H. Um, mm. But absolute pleasure having you on, and thank you for meeting me in this pub car park. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Right, I'm going to hit the stop button if I can find out where the mouse has gone. Thank you.